Well, what? Okay. I don't know if I can hear me or... So, I, we were in uh, Israel in the amphitheaters that they have, where it's all funneled down. And it's amazing how when you're down there, you can just speak just like this, and then you'll hear 30 yards away. Like, it's there. It's amazing how the sound works. I don't know why we don't do that, but I guess we got... Now we now we're now I'm really loud. All right. Mm -hmm. We can try. I don't know. So we'll see if that works. Thanks, Kevin. So got that recorded and everything. All right. Well, we are. Going to get started here, um, and we're going to continue on with ecclesiology. So we're going to finish up ecclesiology next time. So um, I would think of, I think of this as kind of the meat of of our ecclesiology. My my prayer is that this will be edifying and knowledgeable, and you'll learn a whole lot, um, and you'll learn more of God and more and be able to see more and taste more of God's word here. But I really, my prayer is that this lesson here will be very convicting um, as well, just as we get into the purposes of the church. Um, so um, let's pray here and we'll get started. Father, we're thankful for today and we're thankful for uh, your word and we're thankful for your church. Um, and we're thankful for how you love the church. And Lord, we want to glorify you. Help us do that well. Humble our hearts today that we'll take what your word is and what you have for us and use it to change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, and I forgot, um, we have an announcement. Um, so next week is a congregational meeting. So we're not meeting here. Uh, sixth grade and under, there'll still be Sunday school, but um, rooted and all the way up, it'll be congregational meeting. Those are fabulous meetings. And um, just as a plug here with ecclesiology, um, if you really understand ecclesiology and understand the church um, and your theology of church, then you'll want to go to the congregational meeting because you'll want to hear all that God is doing so that you can pray and rejoice together. So I'd encourage you all to go to that meeting and just hear what's going on. So as our elders here want you to know what's going on, and that's an important part. That's why we do that four times a year. So, Brett, you need to say an amen to that one, right? Amen. There you go. So... Um, so we'll uh, continue on. So um, last week I finished really quickly with the purpose, just starting out the purpose of the church, one of those pillars. So the three pillars, and you'll see that on page three, the three pillars are exaltation, edification, and uh, evangelism. <clears throat> and they kind of all blend together, but those are um, one of the big things. So just remembering with exaltation, our purpose is to glorify God, not ourselves. Um, and we almost say that it's just everything we do is to glorify God, which is excellent to remember, but sometimes we lose sight of that very easily. So doing things for money, um, obviously that's an easy one. We don't want to do things for money. That's bad. Um, we want to do things for God's glory. But it, it's so easy um, for man-centered motives to sneak into church ministry. 
it, 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 it does it very well. So, for example, I'll ask you guys a question. How um, can we grow our Awana ministry? Let's say we want to do that. We want to grow our Awana ministry. So that's a good thing, right? So nobody could say, oh, no, we want to not grow it. So we want to grow our Awana ministry. So how can we, what would be a man-centered way and what would be a God-centered way of growing our Awana ministry and why? As you think on that. We might uh, teach more about what each person knows about themselves and not enough for God, but what they're learning about God. So, so learning more of okay so um so yeah so that's excellent so a man-centered way of doing that is like okay to grow the awana ministry we need to have more kids right so then if we want to have more kids it's very easy to be pragmatic so it, it, you take a couple steps so it's like okay i want to, more kids well that's so we're already starting to veer off god glorifying way because we've, our goal is now to get more kids. It's not to glorify God. So we're going to get more kids. And so then to get more kids, well, we have to make it more fun. Okay? And it's like, how do you make it more fun? Well, let's shorten, let's cut teaching the Word of God to just like five minutes. And then let's increase games. Let's have better snacks. And then we're way over here now, okay? So a God-glorifying way. Now, there's nothing wrong with all those things, right? Those are all good things. So you want to have those elements to it. But as, as you take those steps away, so then we want to grow our Awana ministry. So how do we grow our Awana ministry? So we're thinking that. It's like, well, we want to grow deeper in God's Word. So we want to have better teaching. So we want to train our teachers to teach well. Okay, we want to train our teachers to love well. Okay, we want to train our teachers to train the kids to invite their friends so that they can hear God's word and know what's going on. So that's a different way of thinking with for one example. Okay, any questions about that? So it's very insidious in how things can sneak in and we can easily fall off the rails. So like I said, but I, I will say this again, um, there's nothing wrong with snacks, games, um, and being and 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 being uh, and good entertaining teaching. Uh, that would be more. I guess we don't want to say entertaining teaching. We would use the Christian word of compelling teaching, right? I don't want to be boring up here. So, um, but we do want to make sure that we're teaching God's word. So at its core. So, any questions about that? Okay, so the second pillar is edification, okay? So um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 14 in the handout there is for the, uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So God. So the, the first part of that is um, God gave us um, elders, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints. So we. Um, so those leaders are very important and to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So, but what is the work of the ministry? Um, we sometimes think the work of the ministry is broken into. Um, 
coffee ministry or um, Sunday school teaching or um, like nursery. Those are all really good things, but then we need to think of that as how does the nursery ministry build up the body, right? So what does that look like? So that's why we're coming with, um, you can have a man-centered look at things um, and have a nursery ministry that is man-centered or a nursery ministry that is for building up the body of Christ. So those are two different ways of looking at that. So let's jump to Acts chapter two, and we're going to read um, the church at um, Pentecost here, where um, uh, Peter preaches the sermon at Pentecost. Um, the church has officially started, and um, and so how God, how they functioned here in those first few uh, months and years as a church. So this is a very good descriptive way of what the church. Uh, looked like and did. Okay, so if you turn to that uh, addendum handout, it's just one sheet of paper. Um, there's some back there um, if you haven't gotten it, or at least there was. <clears throat> and you'll see under E, um, how do the members of the church edify one another? So we have worshiping God, gathering together, all these different things here. You're going to see each one of these elements as we're reading this. Okay, and so you can kind of check it off as as you read it. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to read this, and then you guys just check off as you see it. Okay, um, so yeah, Acts chapter two forty one. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to added that day about three thousand souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. So did I miss it? Did, did, were any missed in there? Did you guys see them all? So as far as I know, I, they were all there. So, so we're going to go down through each one of those. So the first one is worshiping God together. So a lot of this I'm going to say is together. So this is edifying. So this is the purpose of the church is to edify one another. So in order to edify other people, you've got to be together. So we're going to worship God together. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. So, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. So, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always 
and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So worshiping God together. So that's a, that's a pretty easy one. Can you worship God by yourself? Yeah, you can. Is it more fun to worship God with other people? Why is that? You're burdens together, you're encouraging together, you're helping, I mean, iron sharpening iron together, you're, it's just a lot more fun. I mean, what's not more fun to do? Yeah, Yeah, it's fun. It's like, so we're going to be um, watching the Super Bowl tonight, a lot of us, right? So my Chicago Bears aren't in it, so that's a bummer. But I remember when they were in the Super Bowl a long time ago. So, and boy, it was fun when they were in the Super Bowl. I went down to Champaign. I went with my friends and my family, and we made a whole day of it, and then they lost. But it was still fun. I still remember Devin Hester returning the opening kickoff return, and we were celebrating together. And we were having a great old time together. I mean, we were jumping around, and then they lost. But it was a fun time, right? So when I'm at church, and I'm worshiping God together, when I'm with you guys, it is so much more powerful than when I'm with by myself. So because everybody's singing together, we're giving thanks together. When I hear testimonies of what God's working, I'm encouraged when they're praising God, then I can praise God. So there is a element of togetherness that is encouraging when I'm worshiping or when somebody else is worshiping, it helps me to worship. Okay. So Hebrews 10, we're going to go gathering together. So Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir one another. So one another. So we want to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in order to encourage one another, you got to gather together, right? So this is an encouragement to gather together. Can you gather individually? This is kind of an oxymoron. Now, now think about COVID. Have people gathered individually? What does that look like when you say gather individually? People think they're gathering individually. There you go. Okay. So watching it online is a great tool. Here, so we're recording this um, this morning here so that people who aren't here can hear it, and that's a great tool. Are they gathering together when you're watching online? And I would argue it they are not. So it's still a valuable tool. Now, my mother is housebound, so she cannot go out of the house to gather together. She's not able to. So online is a great tool and I am for it and it's great, but it is not gathering together. So that element is missing and it's very sad 
right? So then what do we do for people who are not able to gather together? What do we need to do? Go to them, okay? So we, we can't think that gathering individually is a possibility. So it is important that they are seen and touched and cared for and prayed with in person. So there's an element of when you're gathering, when two or three are gathered together in my name, right? So when, when I pray for people over the phone, they're very appreciative of it. I've never had anybody cry over the phone when I prayed with them, but they have when I've met with them in person numerous times. So, um, so there's an element of ownership of when you're gathering together, okay? So we have this buy-in, we, we have an effort and we have a love that's shown when we take the effort to gather together or when we go and gather with somebody else. Um, and, but when you gather here on a Sunday, you're saying, this is my church, this is my people, my family, right? And I'm gonna be here, okay? And so that's why it's so important that we encourage one another and we're in a physical presence with one another. So there's a laying on hands of things that's very tactile. God made our bodies to experience and sense things, okay? And so that's why a lot of times pastorally we might pray. Um, so when you're, you might pray with your hands raised or you might sing with your raised hands. And so your, your body is more um, involved in it. So that's why it's important when we're gathering together, we're more involved and we're more bought in. Okay. <clears throat> Validation, just talking as someone who's been chronically ill for several years, there's this validation of my value in the body of Christ is because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that draws my brothers and sisters to me. And, um, you know, there's joy in watching God manifest himself in others because it increases your faith that he is doing that in you. And so those are just some thoughts that have been generated as you're talking about mm -hmm. why Christians visit the sick and why Jesus said when you're in, when I was in prison you visited me. And it's just really neat because God is there. You go there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they've even done quite a bit of so to talk secularly, um, they've done a lot, quite a bit of research about how touch um, and talking with people who are sick and infirmed, how much that helps and builds your spirits, and then they get better physically. And then we threw that all out the window with COVID. <laughs> and then, because we were so fearful and scared, it's like, that's why Christians, because we don't fear, we don't fear, um, we fear God, we don't fear the world or we don't fear Satan, we fear God. Um, that's why Christians run into um, war zones. We run into when there's infirmer, you know, when there's uh, plagues or different things like that historically, because we want to love and to care for um, those that are hurting and sick and trying to help and be merciful and compassionate because we don't fear what happens in the world. We, f we are fearful of God and our soul, and we're thankful that we have our hope in the next life, not this life. 
good. All right, so, so that's um, those two, worshiping God and gathering together, are great ways to edify. Preaching of the word, First, Second Timothy. So if you want to turn to Second Timothy. So Second Timothy four. So 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I charge you in the presence of God. So this is, this is talking to Timothy. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. He's a pastor, elder of a church, and he's trying to encourage Timothy here. So I charge you in the presence of God. So he charges Timothy and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. By having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachings, teachers to suit their own passions. So our own desires, which do you guys see that? So, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you always, be sober-minded, endure in suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So a great way to edify um, in the church is preaching of the word here. So what ways do are we supposed to teach the word as it's described here to Timothy? So when are we to preach? How are we to preach? So yell out some things there. There's a whole bunch, a big list. Huh? Reprove? Mm-hmm. In season and out of season. In season and out of season. So you, you kind of think that the word of God is out of season right now. Patience. Patiently. Very good. So that's, that's a hard one to learn um, from teaching. It's like, it says it right here, just do it. Like, that's... We're to patiently teach that. How else are we to teach it? To point out the truth. Yeah. Encourage values. Yeah, so we're teaching truth. So the tendency is to be man-centered in your teaching. And so when you're man-centered in your teaching, you're like, okay, I'm going to take some of the edge off of the Word of God. I'm going to make it a little bit more palatable. And so then you start, then you start going down that slope there. But when we teach the word of God in a patient, loving way, um, then that's how God moves, right? We don't go for itching ears. We go for the truth. How are there? There's, I think there's like five more. Exhort. Exhort. Good. Enduring suffering. Okay, enduring. So this is a, it is a day in and day out, right? So it's like, a, it's a persevering. Going to an evangelist. Yep, excellent. Always, so we want to always have the gospel in there, right? So we want the Holy Spirit uh, to work and convict if they're an unbeliever to hear that.
I was, I, you, you, I probably have told you guys this before, um, but I met with a Jehovah's Witness elder for like 10 months, maybe even a year. And we talked about the Bible a lot and we weren't getting anywhere. And so I asked a guy who, he's a pastor and he, um, his father was a Jehovah's Witness. So I was like, oh, hey, I'm meeting with a Jehovah's Witness. It's like, how, what, what happened with your father? And he's like, well, um, he knocked on the door to talk about Jehovah's Witness and the person shared the gospel with him and he was intrigued and he kept listening and was changed by that. I was like, oh. And, and so it's like, are you t- preaching the gospel to, with, to him? And I was like, well, come to think about it, no. And so it's like, preach the gospel to him. He'll either be converted or he'll leave you alone. And so I did that for like two weeks, so two times. And then unfortunately he just, he refused to come to me anymore. Um, but I was hoping that he, I was praying that he would be changed by the word, but the, God, the power is in the gospel. So also being sober-minded, right? So we want to be sober-minded. So having that self-control, right? So there's a lot of diligence in teaching. Uh, is, is evangelism a focus of our preaching here? I mean, do we try to focus on evangelism during the preaching as well? Or is it more for the body? Um, okay, I'm not understanding the question. The gospel, so, right? So, so presenting gospel during preaching. Yeah. Is that is that a priority that we're trying to do? Is make the gospel clear when we preach, or is it more for teaching the body for people who are already believers or members of the church? Well, it, I I would say it's both and. So I think I think it's both. So so we want to preach the gospel because the gospel is for two believers. So when you hear the gospel, you should be in awe of what God has done for you, and so be changed by that. So, um, well, maybe, maybe it's evangelism, maybe it's the evangelism piece of this, right? So making salvation clear to someone who is not a believer. So, um, yeah. I, I've, I've got mixed responses to that question. Okay. With different elements, right? So I've been yeah. told, I'm, just, I'm just throwing this out here because we're talking about okay. it. So I've been told that the, the Sunday morning is focused toward the church, right? Toward members or okay. saved. I'm just trying to figure out where our evangelism piece fits okay. in. Um, let's talk afterwards okay. because I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not following that. But then we will answer that question in two weeks. Okay. okay? Right, so, because that's a good question. Um, and, but I'm not, I don't know how to answer that because I'm not following the question. So I apologize. Um, the uh, so any other questions with preaching the word? All right. Well, we'll go to giving together. Second uh, Corinthians, and uh, I like to turn to scripture. So you guys feel free to do that if you're like if that's distracting, then don't do it and just listen. I just I can't. I can't, when somebody's reading and I'm trying to follow along, I gotta read along with it or I'm not gonna, so that's why I give opportunity for that. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. So just about giving together, so think on that. So we know in, um, so Acts 5, chapter 5, 
Ananias and Sapphira, when they gave, they laid the gift at the feet of the apostles. Okay, so we don't do that. Um, but I want you to think of this when, when we're doing this. So 2 Corinthians, because giving is an, is an act of worship. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. And the point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that... So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there's this element of being a cheerful giver, um, worshiping God with that. How do you give together? So we used to pass a plate around. We don't do that now. How do you give together? So this is, this is something that the elders now are, we're having discussions right now. How do we do that? Brent, have you come up with a solution yet? <laughs> How do you give together? How can we encourage one another in giving and edify one another without being arrogant and prideful like Ananias and Sapphira? And lie. I think uh, giving is just limited to monetary funds. You know, I think giving is also giving of your time mm -hmm. and giving with each other. Uh, you know, your time like going in, like maybe volunteering at a soup kitchen mm -hmm. and bringing some other uh, you know, fellow believers with you, right. or giving mm -hmm. of your time to certain aspects of the ministry of the church. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's just limited to monetary donations, I, I think it also expands out to giving uh, just your time in, in different aspects of, of the, the mm -hmm. ministry. Yeah, so we can give of the resources God's given us, so that's our time, right? So I think of when I was in college, I had a lot of time, but not a lot of money. So, you know, it's a great opportunity to serve. Good. But yeah, that's a hard question because we're still trying to figure that one out. So um, how can we give together and think of that? And how can we encourage one another in giving? Um, so because that's a big aspect. So money is the root to all kinds of evil, right? So it's not, um, it's not that money is evil. It's the pathway to all kinds of evil. And so it's so easy to let money um, and other resources that we have um, become idols and lead to all types of evil. So how, it's like, how can we help one another show that um, to be good stewards of that and to be generous and um, faithful and giving and cheerful um, and sacrificially? Sometimes offerings can be viewed as like a necessary evil. It's like, oh, we, we, don't, we don't want to talk about it because then people are going to feel like it's a compulsion. And so it's like, almost like a cost of doing business yeah. instead of an act of worship. And then I think it can change the way that people think about it. That like, this, is, this isn't something you have to do. This is something you get to do. That can be a basis from which you can then develop that type of plan yeah, so yeah, so you're thinking of this like giving as an opportunity, 
right? So you could be a part of something. Um, and so, yeah, but it is very easy to think of I'm giving to a church budget or I'm giving to a church bank account or something like that. When that, so as another, you know, another plug for going to the meeting next week with um, just hearing all that God is doing um, and so that we can be prayerful and prayerful and be thankful, right? So. Yeah, so, yeah, looking for those opportunities that come along that are needs or giving an uh, exit offering to our GO partners or looking, looking for those opportunities and being proactive. That's good. So. That's what I was going to say. Sharing okay. vision helps. So. Oh, good. Okay, so another way to edify is prayer. So we want to pray together. So James 5. So James 5.14. So just talking a lot about um, for those who are suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. So and then, you know, a lot of this we use, you know, call on the others, the church, uh, and then they'll pray for them, right? So and then verse 15 um, no, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins privately. What does it say? To each other. Okay. And pray for yourself, one another. Okay, so so therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, what what a wonderful promise there! It's like it has great power. We have it, it, just think of the absurdity of going to the Creator of everything, and you can boldly approach the throne, and He will listen to you. So, so why don't we do that for one another? Boldly approach that throne for your brother or sister in Christ that is suffering. What a great way to encourage and to edify. And, and so, um, so texting is probably the worst form of communication. But it is helpful, okay? So one way that I would encourage you guys to use texting is don't say, I'm praying for you. Actually put text a prayer, okay? Say, you know, you know, good afternoon, God, God laid me, God laid on my heart to pray for you, and then say the prayer, okay, that you prayed for them, okay? So that they can do that with you, okay? So, or you can call them up on the phone, so it's even better. Or you can go over to their house and bring some coffee. So that's, a, that's another great way, depending on how you steward your time, right, guys? So I'm not saying 
Um, so the mistake is, it's like, well, I can't go over to the house, so I'm not going to call them or I'm not going to text because I don't have time to do that. So don't get caught into that legalism trap. So use as God gives you time to do and lays on your heart. Okay? So it's a great way. Loving one another. So can you love anybody if you're not interacting with anybody? Can you love by yourself? So if you're in Montana in a cabin by yourself, can you love others? Because I couldn't come up with that one, so I, I couldn't think of a way. I guess maybe you could call them, but, but you are disconnected. So Romans 12. Romans 12, 9. So we're going to read 9 through 13. So this is the marks of a Christian. So but, um, so, but I want you to think of this in terms of being together, okay? So 9, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in prayer, in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So there's a, there's a lot of, um, well, I'll keep going. So bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So show no partiality, right? Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. So all that is just full of love. So when we're with other people, um, we want to love each other. So purposely putting yourself and rubbing shoulders with others is very important. And then not being offended when... Um, when somebody sins against you, because it's going to happen. So I, I hear a lot of a lot of criticisms, like what I was saying. So we all love the universal church because we don't know the universal church. They're people we don't know. But the local church is where you know where we're rubbing shoulders and the friction is created. Okay, but that's where God is most glorified in the local church. That's where you're going to have. Um, where you're going to be able to encourage either, you're going to encourage each other, you're going to be able to reconcile when somebody sins against you, you'll be able to go to them and show reconciliation, show forgiveness, show love. Um, our tendency is when we are hurt, we want to um, say our church needs to be like the first century church, and, and we go back to Acts chapter 2, um, and it's like, look how perfect that church is. But that church was not perfect. So that was just descriptive. 
then, but we have a lot of examples of first century churches. We have the Corinthian church in Corinth, um, who the sexual immorality, um, I think they were, um, uh, son, stepson was sleeping with stepmother, um, just all this type of crazy sexual immorality that was happening. And there was the Galatian church where um, Paul was saying, I'm astonished at how quickly you've abandoned the gospel. And then there's um, the Revelation churches, uh, the warnings that the Apostle John put out with the, uh, the church of Laodicea where they were um, becoming apostate. So this happens in every church, but persevering in the church, knowing what the church is, that it is a family, it is a household, and we want to encourage one another and love one another, and we want to outdo one another in showing honor, showing no partiality in that. And we don't want to peace fake either. Um, and peace faking where if somebody is sins against you, but it really bugs you, you're just like, well, you're telling yourself, it doesn't bug me. I'm going to love them anyways, but it's really bugging you. So it's like, and you just don't want to go and confront that person. So making sure you confront them. If you need to bring somebody with you to help confronting, it's really, it's really powerful because that is an act of worship. And it's a good thing. Making disciples, um, the Great Commission. I am running out of time, so we're going to speed up a little bit here, guys. So sorry. Um, making disciples, the Great Commission. Go out there and make disciples. That is a big aspect, and that's a pillar of the church. I just got done teaching 14 weeks of an evangelism class. Um, so to leave all that stuff on the cutting floor and skip it really hurt my heart. So I wanted to spend a lot of time on this. I, I do want to just say, um, um, these are really good things to do together. And I think we've gotten evangelism to be done individually. And so there, there comes a lot of fear um, so that we don't do it, and then fear turns into apathy. So we need to fight both fear and apathy and encouraging one another, doing it as a life group or doing it as a family or doing it as a group of believers together will really help do that. So we need to fight the fear. Um, Luke 10, um, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, right? And he warned them, I'm sending you out to into wolves. Wolves are going to attack you. Okay? But I'm going to be with you. Okay? So we have to watch that fear and we have to watch apathy. Apathy is just a lack of love. So it's a lack of love for others and it's a lack of love for God is what apathy is. So watch your heart against those two things, fear and apathy. Um, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Okay? Offices of the church. Tyson's going to teach that in two weeks. Uh, that's elders and deacons. Um, we are, our church is a big fan of elders and deacons. Um, we think that the scriptures teach that. Um, and so that is in, in Ephesians chapter four, he uses elders, evangelists, and apostles to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So they're a very important aspect of leading the church and equipping the church. And so elders that are doing that well, um, has a church that where the elders aren't doing the ministry, but it's equipping the saints to do that. Baptisms. 
Um, Romans chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. So baptisms are one of the ordinances of the church. Okay? So who knows what an ordinance is? I had to look this up. I didn't know what it was. So it means um, it's like an order or a, um, like a, um, it's ordained or like appointed for use. So baptisms are appointed for use by the church. Okay, so it's ordained. We don't use um, sacraments. Um, so the Catholic Church and the, I think the Lutheran, the Presbyterian Church uses sacraments as well. Um, but we don't use sacraments because there's nothing holy in what we're doing. Okay, so the water that we use in baptism is not specially blessed, nor does the water impute any type of special grace to you when you get baptized. Okay, now there is something definitely spiritual happening in baptisms. So I don't want to say that, okay, well, you're just getting baptized. But there's no special grace that is being put on you through the water. So that's why it's not a, um, it's, we don't use the word sacrament or holy. Okay, so you'll hear sacraments on um, in, in other ways um, for that. So, but we are commanded to um, to do that. You guys can turn to chap, uh, page seven in the bigger, thicker packet if you have that. So, we're commanded to do that. So, it's an example um, that Jesus did. So, um, he wanted to um, do that to fulfill all righteousness. Is what he told John the Baptist when John the Baptist was like, "Well, I shouldn't be." Baptizing, you should be baptizing me. And he's like, nope, I need to do, I want you to do this uh, to fulfill um, what was going on. So we're commanded to do that. We just read in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, um, we are to repent and to be baptized. Okay? So getting into the meaning of it, so Romans chapter 6, it's to identify with Christ. So I really like Romans chapter 6 really is the teaching on what it actually is teaching and showing. So there's a bunch of different aspects here. So I'm going to read that one through five. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into, into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. All right, so it's an identif identification with Christ, but what specifically? Or is that too easy of a question? I mean, it's just kind of right there. It's death and resurrection, so it's not a trick question. Just it's his death and resurrection. So we're... We've died to him, and we are new creatures in Christ. Okay? So we've died. But then there's another element to that. What's it in verse 5? What? Yeah, we were raised. So we, were, we died, and then we were raised So with him with the resurrection. But because of that, what is that? We are what? Huh? Unified. So it's that unity. So 
So we're, we identify with Christ, we're united with him. It's a picture that shows that. So it's, so it's, a, it's a process, it's not a process, but it's a, it's a picture of showing that we have been, that we have died and then been raised again, okay? So it's an outward expression of what has already happened inwardly in your heart. So the second thing that it is, um, it is, you can turn the page there, it is an identification with the church. So, um, so we are united with Christ. Christ is the head of the body. So then therefore we are united um, with our brothers and sisters in the church. Okay? So it is, I am... We, we like to use the term here, we're, when we're baptized, we're professing and proclaiming that we're with Team Jesus, right? We are with the church. A lot of churches, when they baptize believers, you're automatically a member of the church. It's in their church constitutions. So um, when, when we talk with, um, when we were over in Senegal and talking to people in persecuted areas, um, they don't consider them believers until they've been baptized. Not that they aren't believers, but that, okay, are they going to persevere? Because they're like, okay, they made a profession, but let's see what happens. Do they make that act of believer's baptism um, where they're like, okay, I am going to stand with the church. So there's that identification and that proclamation uh, for that. So because we know that baptism does not save Okay, so baptism um, does not save. Um, it's just a picture of salvation. Also, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved because we know we are justified by grace through faith, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. Donna? Is it necessary if we are baptized, um, sprinkled, whatever? Okay. Yeah. And then. To be rebaptized if you weren't in room. Yeah. yeah. So, so the mo the modes of baptism. So there's different modes of baptisms. There's sprinkling. Yeah. There's pouring, and then there's immersion. So, yeah. so baptism means immersion. So that is what we we that's our favored mode, yeah. um, and so that's what we encourage. We we don't require that here so we it is valid if it is a believer's baptism so if you're infant baptism that is not um uh that doesn't count i don't know <laughs> i was trying to think of a better word but i couldn't <laughs> so um so we are believers baptism you have to be a believer right so you have to be justified in order to be um, for the baptism to be effective, so um, and counting. So, but sprinkled, poured, immersion is okay, but it's not preferred. So, um, the last two baptisms, if you were there, they were um, rebaptized, um, which is um, because they wanted to experience that mode, and so we are in favor of that. So, so. And, um, and, and and then that's even, that goes back to um, the Old Testament with um, what it's taught with the Jews. 
Um, they prefer living water. If you don't have living water, pouring. And if you don't have enough water to pour, you can do sprinkle. So, so that, has, that has carried on through um, for that. You know, and, and we talked about just infant baptism with the visible church. Um, if you remember what the visible church was, is they're trying to figure out, okay, here's, we have infants that are baptized. Um, what do we do with them? They're a part of the church. They received a special grace, and they're a part of the kingdom, yet they're not justified. And so they have to come up with a new term for a visible church. And it's like, how can somebody be in the church but not a believer? And so, so there's this disconnect there. So it, 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 is, it, it doesn't work. It, you can't theologically keep that. And, and when you talk to a lot of people about that, they're like, they're hemming and hawing specifically on that. Um, but it's just a lot of tradition. I think it has to deal a lot with dealing with um, just trying to get that old, old vestiges of like circumcision and stuff and trying to, you love your children so much and you want to do everything you can for them. But, you know, it's the grace of God that salvation comes to our children. And that's what we need to be praying for and teaching the gospel to them. And then the last one um, of way of one is communion. And... Um, so, or we call it the Lord's Supper. Um, it is associated steeply with um, the Passover. Um, it's really neat. Who, who's experienced a full Passover Seder? Anybody? Man, that's that is a low amount. So, I know we've we've talked about possibly doing one, but there's a lot of imagery and a lot of metaphors from the Passover into the Lord's Supper and what Jesus has done for us. So it's a really a cool thing. I don't have time to, I mean, that's a whole class um, just, just on that. Um, but communion um, is eating Jesus, right? So when you eat, you're eating the body. The bread is the body, and the wine is the blood. Um, that is a tough teaching that's really difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Um, when Jesus talked about eating his flesh, he lost a lot of his disciples. It's like, this is, I'm not gonna eat people. That's crazy, and they just couldn't wrap their mind around that. So, but what that means is, we, we think, when you think of manna as bread from heaven, and God supplying what we need spiritually. So Jesus is, keeps us alive spiritually, okay? So just like bread keeps us alive physically, Jesus keeps us alive spiritually. So which would you rather have? Would you rather have spiritual bread or physical bread right now? Huh? What? Now, but you're starving and you're about ready to die and you just want some physical bread. <laughs> what do you want that day? Huh? You want physical bread, but if you, if you had to choose, which one would you pick? Bread. So they, but we also want... We, we have to, if our hope is in the next life, we will pick spiritual bread every time. If our hope is in this life, we will pick physical bread, okay? So if our hope is in the next life, we'll pick spiritual bread, okay? So that's why we have to always, every single day, where is our hope? Our hope is in spending eternity forever with Jesus. It is way greater. So our, anything that we suffer here, 
what we know is a light momentary affliction in the face of eternity. Okay, so it's hard to do, boy, when you're starving. And, you know, I went like eight hours without eating. That's tough. So, but um, I know there's people that are starving for a really long time. And so it's really tough. Suffering is hard, but we have to remember it's a light momentary affliction. So the Lord's Supper <clears throat> um, is also um, in 1 Corinthians 11. We don't have time to go into that, but read that. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. There's, there's a unity in there. We are eating from one loaf, okay? We are drinking from one wine, okay? So unity is a big aspect, just like baptism is, is really important. I talked about unity being really important last week. We almost, we don't understand unity. We almost have to look at disunity. And so we get a picture of that in 1 Corinthians 11, because what did they do when that Paul was telling them about when they were eating communion? I don't know if you remember that. I wish I had time to read the whole thing. They were using that to show partiality and they were eating and feasting while other people were went hungry, okay, during the Lord's Supper. So a, an act that is supposed to unite you with Christ and to unite you with your brothers and sisters, the Corinthian church or the church at Corinth was actually using it to divide, okay? And so then what happened to them? They were sick and dying, so God brought a plague on them, okay? So God really hates it when we use pictures that are supposed to mean one thing and we turn it around and demean it to the complete opposite. And that's what the Pharisees always did. They used the law to justify themselves and to, and to justify their actions rather than to bring repentance. And so instead they took the law to heap it upon and be a burden on others. And then they used it to justify and make their load less, okay? So that's why he brought, he was so hard on the Pharisees and the, and the legalist. So unity um, is a big part. We wanna do these together. So we wanna do baptisms together. We wanna do communion together. Okay, because that's what that builds in there. So I, I'm not a big fan of doing communion um, individually or in small groups, although you can do that, right? So maybe you're a small group and that's appropriate, but doing it together in the church um, is a value. And when to do it, there's some churches that do it every Sunday and there's some churches that do it once a year, right? There's no wrong way. We try and figure that out. We just recently are doing it every other month. We used to do it once a quarter, uh, and now we're doing it every other month just to try and get, a, we just feel like, oh, it'd be good to do it a little bit more. So, so um, yeah, if you have any questions, we ran out of time, so you'll just have to come up to me. So, we'll <laughs> and then I'll try and answer anything, or you can email me. I'll be happy to answer. Let me close in prayer here. Father, we're thankful for today, and we're thankful for all you've blessed us with, and we're thankful for all these things that you have given and ministries that we've given and our brothers and sisters here that we can encourage one another to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.